Welcome to the HT Cambridge podcast. For more information, see our website, htcambridge.org.uk. Our reading this evening is from the Gospel of Luke and can be found on page 1060 in the Church Bibles. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 to 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Do you not fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Wow, you might want to turn that down a bit. (laughs) Good evening, everyone. Um, Shall I use this? Is that okay? Okay, we'll, we'll go with this and see what happens. Um, <laughs> good evening. It's great to be here. Um, we, if you weren't here last week, um, then <clears throat> let me just tell you that, that, that over the next few weeks in the lead up to Easter, we're looking at a series in our evening service, services on the last words of Jesus on the cross. Uh, last week, John Irvin uh, spoke to us about Jesus' word of forgiveness And tonight, we're looking at Jesus' word of assurance, uh, as Craig just read to us. Jesus' word of assurance. Speak from the other one. Great. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Just talk amongst yourselves for a minute. <laughs> there we go. Oh, good. Okay, so we're looking at Jesus' word of assurance. So every day in our day-to-day lives, we offer and we receive words of assurance to and from people. Things like, you'll be okay. It'll all work out in the end. There were moments this week, even as I was writing this talk, that people were saying those things to me as well. And those kind of words are there to to reassure us and to help us to feel better. But I don't know about you, sometimes, it depends what mood I'm in, but sometimes those words can actually cause stress and anxiety to rise up even more. Certainly I had a couple of moments like that this week as I was preparing for this talk. But I want to start by saying that this word of assurance that we have in front of us tonight is not like that at all. This word of assurance is different. And it's, I want to say at the very beginning that it's not just a word for this criminal, this thief on the cross 2,000 years ago, but it is for every single one of us who have put our trust in Jesus. And it's my prayer tonight that as we unpack this passage together, that we would come to understand that as we, if we put our faith in Jesus, this word is for us. 
This word of assurance is for us, that we might leave this place with no question of a doubt in our mind. That when Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, he's saying it to us. So let me pray for us as we begin together. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you uh, for this amazing passage that we get to look at together tonight. Thank you for this incredible, life-transforming word of assurance that is before us. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would open our eyes to see it, to understand it, to respond to it, and to be confident of it as we put our trust in you. Father, we pray that you'd be opening eyes um, and uh, yeah, helping people, Lord, all across this place tonight to receive this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we have the scene. There is, there, they've made their way up to the, the place of crucifixion and they've been nailed to the cross. This line of criminals who are being punished for their crimes and in between them hangs Jesus. Both the criminals either side of Jesus know at the end of the day that they'll be dead, but as they hang there moments from death, they had very different opinions about the one who was hanging in the middle. The first mocks Jesus. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other rebukes his fellow criminal. And he turns to Jesus. And it's him that I want us to focus on tonight. And I want us to take a little look at what happened in the final few moments of his life. For him to hear these amazing words spoken by Jesus that would change the course of eternity for him. And the first thing I want to say is that this criminal saw who Jesus was. He sees who Jesus is. I don't know if any of you ever watched a show that was on, it was a, a children's show that was on TV a few years ago called Art Attack. Um, and it was, uh, it was a pretty cool show, you know, you got to learn all kinds of, of art, art and craft techniques and um, I wasn't particularly um, good at any of it, but I enjoyed watching it. Um, but the, the best thing about this show, at the end of it, um, the presenter would uh, kind of have this random collection of all sorts of different things. Um, and uh, you would, it would be called the big art attack. Um, and he would kind of be piecing all these things together. And you'd be watching, like, what the heck is that? You know, how is that anything? Um, and you'd, you'd be getting more and more puzzled as all these things were kind of being added to this sort of scene. And it was only at the very end of the show, the camera would pan out and you would see this incredible work of art that was made of often the most random of materials. And it's like you kind of have this moment of like, oh, I get it, I see it now. And I want to say that that's a little bit what's happened, what's going on with this criminal on the cross in these final moments of his life. He has this like moment of revelation. And maybe it's partly to do with the words that he's just heard Jesus say amidst the mocking and the jeering and the humiliation that is going on all around him and is being directed towards him. Father, forgive them, 
that word we heard last week. He would have heard it very clearly because he was literally hanging next to him. And he begins to piece things together. He sees who Jesus is. And I just want to pull out a couple of things that I think he began to see. Firstly, he fears God. We're told that the first criminal mocks him and has no fear of him at all. But this guy fears God and says to the other, do you not fear God even though you're under the same sentence? Even though you're dying? They've both spent their whole lives running and now they're about to face God. They cannot run anymore. But only one of them gets the significance of what is about to happen. I wonder if any of you can remember the big storm of 1987. I was only four months old at the time. Um, but I, I have heard an awful lot about it um, uh, since, because the, the place where I was born, the place where I lived for the first few years of my life was Seven Oaks in Kent, um, and that was uh, hit very badly by the storm. And so it was a story that we were told in school and, um, and, was, and was really well known to me. Um, but, but there's a character um, who you may have heard of with, uh, in association with, with the storm, a guy, a weather presenter called Michael Fish. And he became infamous in the wake of the great storm of 87. Because a few hours before the storm broke, on the 15th of October 1987, he said during a forecast, earlier on today, apparently a woman rang the BBC and said she heard there was a hurricane on the way. Well, if you're watching, don't worry, because there isn't. That evening, the worst storm to hit southeast England for three centuries caused record damage and killed 19 people. You know, both the woman and Michael Fish were faced with the facts, but only she took them seriously. And he's never been allowed to forget it. But both of these men are going to be dead in a few moments. The outlook is the same for them both, but the response that they have to the person in the middle couldn't be more different. This guy knew that there was nowhere else to run, nowhere to hide. And unlike his fellow criminal, he knew he was about to face God and he feared him. He feared God. Secondly, he knew or began to understand that Jesus was more than a man. In verse 41, we see him say this, We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Wow, that is a pretty bold claim, isn't it? He has done nothing wrong. I wonder if people could say that about you. I don't think anybody's ever said that about me. And if they did, it would be the biggest lie ever told. (laughs) Yet as this criminal is hanging next to Jesus on the cross, he declares that he's done nothing wrong. It's a huge claim. He must see that this is no ordinary man dying by his side. He's perfect. He's done nothing wrong. Surely this can only be said of God himself. It's a huge claim that he's making. As he says, you know, we're under the same sentence as him, but unlike us, he doesn't deserve it. He's done nothing wrong. 
as he's hanging there dying, it's like his eyes are beginning to be opened to this great exchange that is taking place on the cross next door. And he doesn't fully get it, no. But in these final moments of his life, he's beginning to glimpse something of the heart of the gospel. Paul put it like this um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As Jesus is hanging there, it's like he's saying, yes, I've done nothing wrong, but I'll pay for everything that you've done. I'll pay for everything that you've done. This guy fears God. He sees that Jesus is more than a man, and he sees that Jesus is king. As he's hanging there, dying on the cross, he's surrounded by Roman officials. He's surrounded by people in positions of great power. The Roman soldiers would have been there um, in all kitted out in their finery. But it's not their kingdom that he wants to be a part of in these final moments of his life. Some of the last words he will ever speak in Verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Even amidst the blood and the bruises and the beaten body of Jesus, even as Jesus is hanging there weak and helpless and vulnerable and dying, this criminal sees who the true king in that scene is. And he wants to be part of his kingdom. This man saw Jesus. He feared God. He knew he was more than a man. And he sees that he is the king. Do we see Jesus tonight? And I want to say that if you have never... (laughs) come to know this Jesus, if you've never seen him, I would just invite you to pray a simple prayer when you go home tonight or even before you leave tonight, that God would open your eyes to begin to glimpse something of who he is. And maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for years and you need that fresh revelation of who he is. It's a prayer that we can all pray tonight. And just before we move on, I just want to point out, whilst we're we're talking of how the criminal saw Jesus, you know, we've said that he, he feared God, that he knew he wasn't just a man, that he knew he was king. But this guy didn't know all that there was to know about Jesus before he makes this cry before God. He probably didn't have much of an education He'd not had time to ask all of his questions. He'd probably never been on an alpha course. (laughs) But he knows enough. And in a city like Cambridge, where there is this hunger for knowledge and a need to always know more, we can spend so much time deliberating about the big questions of life. And I want to say that is no bad thing. That is no bad thing. But for this guy, he'd run out of time for philosophical debate. This was a matter of life and death, and when it came to crunch time, he knew enough, and he threw himself onto the mercy and the grace of this king 
that he saw. You know, maybe you've been asking questions of Jesus for years, but never quite committed. Maybe you've been to Alpha. Maybe you've been on several Alpha courses. Maybe you've been recently to the talks that have been run on main event week. Maybe you've seen who Jesus is and you're pretty certain, but you've just never quite taken that step towards him. Well, I want to encourage you tonight, don't wait on the sidelines anymore. You know, yes, this guy waited his whole life. This is like the ultimate deathbed conversion. But I want to say tonight, why wait? Why wait? In the Bible, it says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, respond. And then in light of seeing who Jesus was, this guy begins to see who he is. He begins to see who he is. Firstly, he recognizes his own mess. As he's hanging there next to Jesus, as he sees Jesus' innocence and perfection, he begins to see the state of himself. When I was growing up, I, I learned uh, to play the piano, and I would go every Monday night to, to Mrs. Thomas's house for my piano lesson, um, and I did that right up until I was 18, and I loved learning the piano, but one thing I didn't love so much was these little concerts that she would have very regularly in her front room with her grand piano, and it would just be, it was meant to be a very casual and informal uh, affair, really, an opportunity for us to kind of show off our skills to the rest of her pupils. Um, which would have been fine, apart from the fact that there was this chap uh, called Ulrich, who from a really young age was the most excellent pianist, one of the most excellent pianists I've ever heard. He was absolutely phenomenal. And it would always be my worst nightmare when I'd look at the programme and there would be Ulrich, you know, playing some incredible, like, symphony, you know, something amazing. And then there would be me. And it wasn't ever chopsticks, but it sounded like chopsticks in comparison to what Ulrich was playing. And I knew um, very quickly from about the age of 10 that I was never going to be a concert pianist um, if Ulrich played like that and I played the way that I did. You know, when we're kind of hanging out with people who are, uh, are that good. <laughs> it kind of puts our own ability a little bit um, into perspective. And this is a bit of what's going on here. You know, this guy in the presence of Jesus had an incredible awareness of his own messed up life. Again, verse 41, we're punished justly in getting what our deeds deserve. He recognizes his mess. He recognizes his mess. And the challenge for us is, do we recognize the state that we're in on our own and apart from God? So often we're tempted to compare ourselves to people worse than us and think, you know, well, compared to them, we're not doing too badly. It's like we have some kind of scale of goodness and we kind of place different people and ourselves on that scale. Some people are better than others, yes, but no one is perfect. As we began, no one has ever done nothing wrong. And heaven is a perfect place. And so we'll never deserve heaven. No matter how hard we try, no matter how good we are, we'll never be quite good enough. And this guy knew it. 
He doesn't make excuses. How easy would it have been for him to spend the last few minutes of his life while saying to, the, to Jesus, well, look at the guy the other side of you. He doesn't fear you. Look at him. He's way worse than me. But he doesn't do that. He knew he was bad. He knew that he'd messed up. He knew that he deserved to be there. He recognized his mess. And secondly, he recognized his need. You know, he's there in the final few moments of his life, hanging on a cross next to this man who had a reputation for raising people from the dead, for feeding thousands of people, for calming stormy seas, for even walking on water. You know, if you're in that kind of situation, nailed to a cross and about to die, that's probably not a bad guy to have hanging next to you. But check out what he asks of Jesus. Unlike the first criminal, he doesn't ask to be just taken down from the cross. This man realizes that he has a far deeper need than the immediate crisis he was in. Something even more powerful than those nails in his hands and feet were holding him. He recognized his mess. And he recognized his sin, and he knew that that was what he needed rescuing from. At the most desperate moment of his life, when everything else had been stripped away, and there was nothing else that he could do, the thing he cries out for is salvation, because he knew that that was his greatest need. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's acknowledged his mess, his brokenness and his sin, and now he wants to be in God's kingdom. Remember me, he says. It's just two simple words. He doesn't use fancy theological language. He doesn't talk about atonement and justification and repentance. He just says, remember me. He hasn't got time for much else. But it's not the words that we say that matter. It's the state of our hearts. That's what Jesus sees. That's what counts. And the only requirement of coming into God's kingdom is a heart that says yes to God and no to ourselves. A heart that says, God, I have got nothing. I am at the end of myself and I need you. God, remember me. And that's the place that we've got to get to tonight. To recognize that we cannot earn our salvation. That we need him. And that can be really difficult for us to come to terms with. It can even at times feel offensive. Surely there's something that I can do. Surely my efforts must count for something. We want to help to say that we've had a part to play. If I serve more or give more or try harder, then God will love me. Then I'll have a chance of getting to heaven. Then I'll have assurance of salvation. But we've missed the point. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. When I started at Exeter University, uh, one of the first things that, um, you know, it'll be the same for students here in Cambridge, uh, people just want to know your stats. They want to know where you're living. They want to know what you're studying. They want to know where you've come from. 
And that's generally how the conversation goes for the first few days of university. But then, as people kind of got to know each other a little bit better, um, and courses began, Freshers' Week was over, another question was kind of added. And it was often done in quite a subtle way, but essentially it was this, what grades did you get to get here? What offer did you get? What did you have to, to, to achieve in your A-levels to make it onto this theology course? Because everybody had different offers. And it was almost like we, we all wanted to have the best story, the best grades in some kind of attempt to prove that we were good enough. And I think we can act a little bit like this with God. You know, we think that we can try and impress him with our accomplishments and our achievements, but he's not impressed. When we get to heaven, we're all going to be exactly the same. We're going to turn to each other and say, well, how did you get here? I said yes to Jesus. How did you get here? Yeah, I said the same. I said, Jesus, remember me. Yeah, I did as well. The way we come isn't by proving we've got it, but by saying we've got nothing. But by saying we've got nothing. And we have this amazing gift before us. How are we going to respond? Are we going to say yes to God's gift of salvation? Will we say yes to this invitation to come as we are, to stop proving that we're good enough? Because when we do, we're going to hear the most incredible words of assurance. And that's where I want us to go now. This guy sees who Jesus is. He sees who he is. And he cries out, Jesus, remember me. And how does Jesus respond? I tell you the truth. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, we can maybe have doubts about whether or not we're saved. Is God going to let me in? But there is no greater word of assurance than this. And all we've got to do to qualify is to say, yes, Jesus, remember me. I want to be in your kingdom. Let's just have a look at some of these words that Jesus says. He begins with this word, today. You know, this word of assurance is, is immediate. It's for today, not next week or next month or next year. You know, for this guy, he was literally about to die. He was next to Jesus on the cross, and he would be with him in paradise before the end of the day. And we're hopefully not in that same situation but in John 17, we're told that eternal life begins when we put our faith in Jesus. When we put our trust in him, he receives us. He welcomes us in until one day we will see him face to face. But it begins today. It begins today. We haven't got to wait. We've not got to pass any test to be in. There's no probation period to prove that we're good enough or that we really mean what we say. Salvation is immediate and it can start today. We live in a society where we are always looking for immediate satisfaction. We really hate delay. We want something now and we would have preferred it yesterday. 
Yet here we have this amazing offer of eternal life with Jesus, who loves us enough to die for us and promises life to the full, starting today. And we're the ones that put the brakes on. We're the ones that put the brakes on. How crazy is that? Today, you. Let's look at that. It's just three letters. But it's amazing, you know, the fact that Jesus would say, even to this guy who is at the the lowest of the low, he spent his life running away from the law. He spent his life running away from God. He's completely messed it up. And yet these words are for him. You know, maybe you're sitting here tonight feeling like, well, this, this word of assurance is great, but it's not for me. If you knew what I'd done, Ellie, then you'd understand. But I want to say tonight, if it's for him, then it's for you too. If it's for him, then it's for you too. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've become. You are welcome home. No one is excluded. There is nothing that you've done or become that God's grace hasn't covered. And we can put our own name into that word of assurance if we put our trust in Jesus tonight. And we hear, don't we, we began by, by talking of how we, you know, offer words of assurance every day. We receive words of assurance. But I don't know about you, when someone who I know really well says something to me, it carries a lot more weight than a stranger because they really know me. So when my parents say to me, Ellie, we love you, that, you know, they, they must really mean that because they know everything about me. They know the good bits, they know the bad bits, they know everything. They must mean it. And God knows everything there is to know about you. Like the criminal on the cross, he sees it all. He sees our mess and our brokenness and our sin. There is nothing hidden from him. And yet, despite seeing it all, he loves you, he loves me enough to die on a cross so that he could respond to our feeble remember me with the most powerful words of assurance that we'll ever hear. Today, you will be with me in paradise. And there's just a couple more things I want to pull out as we come to finish. And one is just that word will. And I just want to remind you of something I said um, when I did my talk on hope a couple of weeks ago, that one thing God cannot do is lie. When we turn to him and throw ourselves on him, he will keep his promise. When he says he'll do something, he does it. I was reminded as I was preparing of um, the time when Joseph, right back in the book of Genesis, is in prison and the the, the chief cupbearer is about to be released um, and, and set free from this prison. And before he goes, Joseph says to him, remember me when you go back to the palace. And you can kind of imagine him being like, yeah, 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 okay. Anyway, he goes back to the palace and he forgets him. He doesn't keep his promise. But when we cry out to God, when we cry out to Jesus, remember me, 
He means it because he doesn't make empty promises. And finally, that we will be with him. That we'll be with him. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's what it's all about. It's all about a relationship with him. Coming to to put our faith in Jesus isn't about taking on a huge load of rules and regulations and laws, but a relationship with him. We get to be with him. You know, Jesus isn't just speaking out a word of assurance here. You'll be okay. He is the assurance. You'll be with me. And there is no greater assurance than the promise of his presence and eternal life with him. I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible word that we've had to look at tonight. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace. That, Lord, when we cry out to you, when we say yes to you, Father, you welcome us with open arms. And I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to wait until we die to know you. I thank you that if we put our faith in you, that if we put our trust in you, that these words are for us today, here on Sunday, the 14th of February. Father, I thank you for this amazing word of assurance, and I pray that it would sink deep into our hearts now and in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.